Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got a full slate of college football action to break down. Week one is in the rearview mirror. It was an awesome weekend of games, and we're going to break it all down right here in today's show. But first, we've got Scout Stories, the second edition of my favorite segment that we do here on the show. Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Brandon Brown, is going to join us for the very first time here on the Journey of the Draft podcast to break down the most important position in all of sports, the quarterback spot. So, Make sure you tune in. We're going to do that right here at the top of the show. Excited to dig into this uh, with Brandon at the very top. Now, after that, we're going to get into our week one action, our week one recap with Ben Fennel and Dane Brugler in Saturday scouting. We're going to talk about all the big risers, who helped themselves the most this weekend, who stood out to us as we watched from our couches uh, on TV. Just an outstanding weekend of college football. Then we welcome back Chris McPherson for On the Clock. He returns to the show to host a debate between myself and Dane and Ben. It's all about the senior class. So we'll do that at the end of the episode. We've got draft mailbag as well to wrap things up. As always, rate, review. If you've got a question, we will answer it here on the show every single week. And if you like what you hear, all you have to do is hit that subscribe button. You will get this show sent to your device twice weekly from now until the NFL draft. Does not get any better than that. So make sure you go and do that. Uh, That said, let's get this show rolling. I'm excited to talk through uh, the quarterback position with Brandon Brown, the Eagles Director of Player Personnel. Let's get things started with Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, this week here for Scout Stories, I'm excited to welcome in Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Brandon Brown, to talk about the quarterback position. Brandon, excited to dig into what many believe to be the most important position in all sports. Fran, I appreciate you having me, and uh, I echo that. I think uh, not only is it the hardest position in all sports, um, I think it's the most taxing, and I think we'll we'll get into a lot of the elements that make it, um, it is what it is, and some validity behind uh, why I feel that way. So why? So not only is it taxing to to play it, but pretty much everybody to a man will say, uh, yeah, like it's the most taxing position to be able to evaluate and project. What is it about the position that makes it so hard to evaluate? Yeah, so I think it's the hardest position to evaluate in all of sport because you have different aspects. You know, to me, it's uh, you look at the pre-snap aspect, um, just the simple things of commanding a huddle, um, spitting out verbiage. Um, you, we're really at the NFL level, we take what we get from the college game. And there's a conflict where at the college level, um, there's an emphasis on getting guys on the field as soon as possible, right? So the back end of that is when you want to get guys on the field as soon as possible, sometimes you have to simplify things. And when you simplify things, you almost uh, cut out some of the foundational tools, um, you know, that, that go into the position. So little things of addressing a huddle and spitting out verbiage may be uh, dumbed down to being just placed on a uh, play card that's on, that's on a wristband. So just those little nuances can change, you know, what a quarterback's pre-snap ability is, right? And then it's at the line of scrimmage. What are they forced to do in terms of reads? Um, you know, some guys, when you get them, they've been accustomed to doing half-field reads, predetermined reads, so it makes things more simple. Now, when you when you open up and you pull back the curtain, um, at this time, you know, you get guys that, hey, now we have to evaluate the whole field. And that's when processing ability comes into play. And I think some of those things like uh, processing ability that when you get away from the data um, aren't truly quantifiable um, numbers or, or terms where you say a guy does this good, average, great, marginal, but um, it gets a little tricky when you can't put 
um, a number into it where, hey, he did this great, but he was only reading half fields. But in our system, he may have to do full field read. So I think those are the things that get into the slippery slope. Um, and I think you look into some of the, you know, the non-playing factors, whether you're talking about in regards to leadership, right? You go from being a leader of not only the offense, but hey, if you're a young guy or a guy that's on a different team that now is in your locker room, can you also command um, the entire locker room as a team leader? So I think those type of pressures and non-quantifiable uh, traits come into play. So I think there always has to be a happy balance there. And it makes a harder of, of a projection when you can't always put a number next to uh, the skill set. And I love one of those points there you made, because we try and make it here on the show as often as possible, especially during those months of like February, March, April, leading up to the NFL draft when buzzwords and like those hot point topics of especially focus on the quarterback position. Oh, well, this guy doesn't process well. He doesn't read defense as well. You have to have an understanding of what they were asked to do. But then also just because a guy was asked to do something or wasn't asked to do something in college doesn't mean he can't do it moving forward in the NFL. You do, it, it'll take time to be able to get him to that point. So uh, I'm so glad that you made that uh, made that point for us. It's just that it's not just about, hey, like look at these numbers, look at what this guy did. It's having an understanding of the context surrounding it. 100%. And then when you look at what he has done, now you have to really get into you know the information discovery process mm-hmm. of, okay, well, just because he did this, can he handle more? Right. right. So that's why you put him through, you know, different aptitude tests, um, see if there's anything that he hasn't done on tape that you say, hey, there's more meat, there's more meat left on the bone and we can really magnify him in our offense. Um, so I think it's one, just having one complete clarity and awareness of what you want to do um, as an offense. And two, does this player, one, have the ability to handle it and grow within it? Um, and I think that perfect marriage is when you see, you know, guys hitting and, you know, everyone gets excited from uh, the fan base to uh, the coaching, to the personnel department, to ownership. So I think uh, that, that kind of goes hand in hand. And I think just when you're looking at um, actual, I call it balancing of the critical factors versus posi- position specifics, mm. you know, the normal critical factors are the things that, you know, you want to say are, hey, accuracy, decision making, arm strength. Right. And then things that are just specific traits. Are, OK, what what's his pocket poise? We you know is he clutch? In certain situations, two-minute offense, um, being down from behind in the fourth quarter, you know, how quickly does he release? What are his foot quicks in the pocket? Um, how mobile is he? Can he create on a, in off-platform situations? What's the ball security versus a blitz? Um, so I think it's a balancing act of all those things, and you find out, hey, what of those traits are, you know, are king in your offense? You've been around a lot of great coaches, a lot of great evaluators over the course of your career. Has there been a one piece of advice that has kind of stuck with you or was most impactful for you as you were coming up about evaluating quarterbacks? Yeah, um, because it's such a it's more than just a on field playing um, position. It's look at the totality of the man. Right. And the totality of the man is, hey. How does he prepare? What is his, is he someone you got to dig out and find out what is his schedule? You know, if you're, if it's a college kid, what is his schedule, you know, Sunday through, um, through Friday, right? Before they play on Saturday, is he structured? Is he regimented? Is he only doing what is asked of him? Um, you know, just the little things. If, if there's a meeting at eight o'clock, is he showing up at the building at seven fifty? Um, so just the, the mastery, the attention to detail of their craft, um, their thirst to get better. Um, what what is he working on um, away from the assignment um, that he's constantly just trying to sharpen his knife in terms of his traits and his tools? Um, and then, you know, I look at, hey, what are the inherent leadership traits? You know, just little thing. You know, you go to a college game. 
um, and they're in pregame warmups. Are the wide receivers coming up to him, high fiving him? Are the are the running backs, you know, loving him up um, while they're warming up? Are the offensive linemen after he gets knocked down? Are they the first ones to come pick him up and and say, "Hey, my bad if they missed an assignment"? Because um, if there's guys that are accountable to him, um, they're not. That means that this guy has one juice in the locker room. And when I say juice in the locker room, he has sway and he's you know got that moxie that guys gravitate towards. You want him at that position. Um, ideally, you want it to be a guy that everyone wants to be around. And he has the ability to elevate the group like that. That to me is true leadership. It's not just um, being talented, but do you have the ability to elevate the group uh, to the point where you guys are all reaching the goal? One buzz, uh, one kind of like a uh, line that we like to say here on the show is understand the limitations of the tape. We stole that from Dan Hatman, who came on the show a couple of years ago. And, you know, I feel like evaluating quarterbacks in person and seeing some of those things you talk about you don't necessarily always see that when you're watching film, if you're at your desk or if you're sitting downstairs in your basement, when, when you, you're in person watching, whether it's on from the sideline, watching from the stands, uh, you can kind of take some of that stuff in some of that stuff that you don't necessarily see. Yeah. And in, in, in those things, like I said, we, we, we talk about the, the non-quantifiable um, data points. I think that that falls into it. Um, Cause as you get, like you just mentioned earlier, friend, when you get into the off season, you get to the, the combines, you get to this, the, the all-star games, um, the visit process pre-draft, you know, you get into those situations where um, guys get coached up, right? And uh, I think when you get them in their most authentic raw environment, which is, you know, on campus, whether it's in a game, whether on the sideline, pre-game, um, you really see something that can't be coached up. Um, and guys can, you know, can put their best face forward during the process and, and do a lot of work, just like going on a job interview. Uh, but the day-to-day and, you know, the people that have, have been with them for the past Hey, you know, three to four years in college and maybe even earlier before that in high school, um, if there's consistency and good traits, you know, this is uh, more often than not who the person is and hopefully they can remain that once they're in, in your program. When you reflect back on your on your history and your background, you know, early stages of evaluating players, how has your process changed over the course of your career when looking at quarterbacks? Have there, have there been any pivot points where you're like, man, like I have to weigh this more or maybe weigh this less? Uh, yeah, I think, like I said before, um, in the NFL, we are very much um, we we take what we get from the college ranks, and as the college rank shifts, we have to be ever evolving. Mm. And I just think as offenses and whether it's the scheme, whether it's plays, become a more sophisticated or changed, um, we have to be able to evolve with it and say, "Hey, are these skill sets from college? Um, what can we do? What where can we get our competitive advantage?" And I just think the one thing that you see is had, that has changed or, or evolved over my time is, you know, the ability to create an off-platform throws. Yep. You know, the more quarterbacks that we see coming out, um, the ability to create and the, the added element of being able to not only run with your legs, but to extend the play to also throw outside of the pocket um, and extend. I think those are the things that um, keep defenses up at night. And you always want to say, hey, can we gain an extra rusher, right? And Or an extra runner. And can we gain... Uh, any type of competitive advantage. And I think, you know, just to see that you see the top guys, especially the young crop in the NFL right now, obviously matriculating from college, um, those are the, the skill sets where you can be equally dangerous in every facet. Um, it, it keeps defenses on their toes. And so yeah. I, that's, what, that's the biggest thing for me is taking account for guys that can create an off-platform situation. Then you look around the league, you see all the quarterbacks, especially the guys that are probably in that, you know, 26 and under category. Mm. Um, the majority of them, they, they can do that and they, they can beat you with their legs as well.
And I feel like that ledger has kind of swung where before I, you know, I'm thinking like 2012, 2013, 2014, watching these guys come out. It's like uh, through just me, me personally looking at through the scope of, all right, well, is this guy relying on these off platform plays on making plays outside of structure? Is that how he has to live to succeed or does he just have that ability? And that, and that's a big part of it. I feel like we're just every single year getting more and more where it's like, we're okay. If the guy almost makes a majority of his plays, you know, outside of that structure, you still need to be able to play uh, within the construct of the play, but uh, being able to make more and more of those plays, you know, when the defense is right. A hundred percent. And, you know, and, you know, personally, I always, and I think uh, when you look at the guys that are successful, uh, regardless of age in the league, I always feel like accuracy and, and anticipatory timing is king. Those yeah. two traits are, are king. And I think when you have those two elements, but you can also add in the ability to create uh, with your legs, you know, that's like you said, when, you, when you're fearful, both inside and outside the pocket. But um, to me, accuracy and anticipatory timing is always going to be king over just the pure ability to create, but not have the ability to be accurate mm-hmm. and anticipate, anticipate, you know, uh, um, uh, guys coming open and throwing them open. Well, Brandon, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for giving us a peek inside your process when evaluating quarterbacks. Uh, we will talk to you soon, man. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Fran. Well, outstanding stuff there from Brandon Brown and his debut right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. And I guess a couple of big takeaways for me. Uh, I love what he had to say, Brandon, about um, what makes studying the quarterback position so hard. And that's the understanding of all of the nuance that goes into it. Understanding uh, you know, what a guy was asked to do, and not just that. But then can he handle more, right? So, hey, he was asked to call plays in the huddle or he wasn't. He was asked to make pre-snap adjustments or he wasn't. He was asked to make full field reads or he wasn't. And now the second step of that is, hey, can he do the, Can he make those full field reads in the NFL? Can he call plays? Can he make those pre-snap adjustments? If not, how do we get around that? How does it affect his grade? That all is a big, big part of it. And, and to me, obviously, this is big at every position, but especially at quarterback because the guy touches the ball on each and every play. Like I said earlier, uh, it's the most important position in all of sports. So uh, that was certainly a one big takeaway. I hope everybody uh, you know kind of takes away with them. And then another big one, uh, just advice and lesson. Look at the totality of the man. How does he prepare? Uh, that was a big one I wrote down. The totality of the man. How does he get ready for a game? Uh, what is his schedule during the week? How does he get ready? Is he structured and regimented or is he just kind of, uh, you know, they're going through the motions? That's obviously a huge, huge part. Uh, that attention to detail, so, so important here for the quarterback position. And then, uh, you know, the, I think too, what he talked about, about being able to sense some of those interactions with teammates and preparation and attitude, you see that when you're at a game and you get those live exposures. Sometimes you don't always get that and you get those exposures too before a player is coached up for the pre-draft process. I thought that was big, uh, and I loved this one line, too. I wrote this down. Accuracy and anticipatory timing is king over just that ability to create and not being able to be accurate. So uh, accuracy and anticipatory timing is king, regardless of where we're going right now uh, at the position. I thought that was really important there from Brandon. So great stuff. We'll be doing this each and every week. A different member of the Eagles scouting staff, breaking down a different position. We'll be doing that all the way up uh, through this season, getting into uh, the rest of the pre-draft process. So thanks so much to Brandon. We will talk to another member of the Eagle scouting staff next week, right here in this segment. That said, like I said at the top, a lot of great action to break down from week one. Let's do it right now in Saturday scouting. It's time for Saturday scouting. All right, guys, let's get into it here with Saturday Scouting as I welcome in Ben Fennell and Dane Brugler. Guys, uh, full slate of college football, and it was awesome. I mean, Thursday all the way up through, uh, we're recording this Monday afternoon, all the way up until tonight, just a great 
slate of games, and every single night there was college football, quality college football on TV. Uh, it was a marathon, but it was awesome. Uh, I know you guys share the uh, share my feelings there on that one. But that said, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. And I guess we'll start things off here with draft buzz. So some notable injuries uh, coming out of this weekend in college football. Four that I want to hit on here for this segment. So I'm going to hit each of you up with two, and we'll qu- go quick here. What does it mean for the player? What does it mean for the team? Dane, I'll come to you first. Uh, Minnesota running back Mohamed uh, Ibrahim, after a big first half, uh, leading the Gophers to a potential upset there of Ohio State. Uh, he hurts his Achilles there uh, in the second half and now out, obviously, indefinitely. Thoughts on what this means for Ibrahim and then also for the Gophers moving forward? What a bummer uh, for yeah. him. It, I mean, it was so much fun watching him. Um, I mean, I think even... I mean, Ohio State fans, uh, they knew that if Minnesota was going to win that game, it was because of the running back and what he was doing to that run defense. Uh, He racked up 163 yards uh, on the ground. He had 30 carries uh, when he got hurt. I mean, just an absolute bell cow. And, you know, he's just a guy that's he's instinctive with the ball in his hands, the contact balance, uh, the decisiveness. He runs behind his pads. You never see him go backwards. I mean, he is so strong uh, with the way he drives his legs. Uh, very compactly built. Uh, it, the thing with him is just he's not a great athlete, and that's what uh, is probably holding him back from being, you know, like a top one hundred guy. Uh, you know, scouts viewed him as more of a you know mid rounder. But the way he was playing uh, against the Ohio State defense, you thought, okay, you know what? Maybe even maybe he's that that Benny Snell, that, um, you know, the type of uh, running back that maybe not, not going to test that great, but when you factor in his vision, his power, uh, I mean, it, defenders better bring their big boy pants to bring him down. There's no gimmies uh, with him. It's just a bummer that with this injury now. So what does he do? Does he just, does he rehab and then try to work out the spring? Does he try to go back for another year of eligibility? Uh, it's hard to say at this point, uh, and for Minnesota, you know, I mean, Tanner Morgan, he's not good enough to get the job done with just his arm. They needed that run game. So we're going to find out what Minnesota has here, the rest of the Big Ten schedule. And in a weird way, I thought he should have come out last year. He has already 500 career carries. He's kind of a bruiser back, takes a lot of contact on his body, but he wants to stay in and get his degree. He already has 500 career carries. So kind of happy he won't get any more wear and tear on that frame heading to the NFL. But, uh, you know, a guy that reminds I mean, a little bit of like an Alfred Morris, mm. uh, that style of player. Yeah, and the, the, on the fortunate part is that uh, you come out of that, yeah, there's no more carries on his body, but a little bit too much on the tear side of the wear and tear, <laughs> right, uh, yeah. unfortunately. And, and so that's going to be big for for his stock here uh, moving into this, this upcoming NFL draft. Uh, let's stay in the Big Ten. Dane, I'm going to bounce this back to you. Uh, Michigan wide receiver Ronnie Bell. Uh, it was announced on Monday morning. Uh, he was going to be missing the majority of the season. Uh, thoughts on what this means for Bell and for the Wolverines as well. Big win for them uh, on Saturday. Yeah, Michigan's top receiver uh, the last few years. It was big to have him back this year, uh, you know, to help their young quarterback. And he had, what, one catch for like 70-some yards? Yep. Uh, it was I a mean, ridiculous he, catch over the shoulder yeah. one hand. It was awesome. Yeah, and, he, you know, he's not even like the best athlete on the roster there at Michigan. Yep. But when you factor in, you talk to his teammates and they rave about his competitive nature, his attitude, the way he carries himself. And he was not going to test off the charts in Indianapolis. But scouts were going to love the interview and, and, and love talking to him, the compete skills, the type, just what he brings to the to the huddle, to the locker room, and just a, a really reliable player out there. And so 
Uh, it's just a bummer is a right knee, I believe. And so, you know, he, he's done for the year. It's just a, a, another guy who needed this year to kind of put more tape out there to show that, yeah, I might not have the testing numbers, but I'm just a really good football player. All right, now let's go down to the SEC. Uh, Christopher Allen getting hurt on Saturday. Uh, unfortunate, a pass rusher there for the Crimson Tide. Uh, going to be out uh, for the rest of the year. Nick Saban saying uh, most likely going to miss the rest of the year with a foot injury. Uh, what does that mean for Allen and for Alabama? Yeah, that's a tough one there. He's kind of playing that outside linebacker Sam position. Played 10 snaps against the Miami Hurricanes. Showed up right away. Got a sack, two run stuffs. Looked pretty good out there. Zone dropped in coverage. Unfortunately, the foot injury. That means it'll open the door for sophomore Drew Sanders, who had to play a considerable amount of snaps uh, in place of Christopher Allen out there. But really unfortunate injury. A guy that's kind of in the mold of uh, Anthony Jennings that came out a couple years ago. A guy with a versatile skill set. But it was a senior campaign to really show what he can do uh, for NFL scouts. Really disappointed. All right, well, let's get to uh, some better news here. We get through through our game balls. Like I said, some outstanding games, uh, really, all the way from Thursday up until last night. Uh, let's see. Uh, ben, we'll come back to you. Uh, game ball this week. Who is your standout player from the weekend? Oh, man, there's so many good rushing performances around college football. I'm just going to kind of keep, a, keep it focused here because there's too many games and too many performances to consider. But the running backs, man, Zonovan Knight at NC State and Tyler Beatty, Pierre Strong, South Dakota State. Everyone needs to watch this kid. This guy has some juice out of that backfield. But we got to talk Michigan State running back Kenneth Walker III. Came over from Wake Forest. It's a guy that had 13 touchdowns last year in the ACC. I think he tied Travis Etienne for the most in the conference. Really productive player. Good size. 5'10", 210. Why am I bringing him up? Well, he had 264 yards against Northwestern. Four touchdowns. Average over 11 a carry in a variety of gap and zone scheme. Veteran. Veteran offensive line out there. Listen, I was shocked Anthony Russo didn't win the quarterback job. Whatever. They have a running back, a good offensive line. They're going to pound opponents just like they did Northwestern. Kenneth Walker, one of the more underrated transfers around the country, but went from Wake Forest, Michigan State, looking like a player this year. Uh, Dane, let's stay in the state here because uh, Michigan, uh, they had a big win. You talked about uh, Ronnie Bell and his performance. Obviously, they had the quarterback there with Cade McNamara. Uh, really good debut for him here in 2021. But who got your game ball from that one? Yeah, there's so many different, like uh, Ben was saying, uh, there's so many different names you could have gone here, uh, especially with that first uh, first week in college football. So many guys you want to talk about. Um, both my top safeties, Kyle Hamilton and Jalen Catalan, were outstanding. Uh, and, and so I thought about going there, but I, I'm sticking with uh, in, in the Big Ten, going to Michigan, Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, we need to remember he was on a first round trajectory uh, last year before that leg injury three games into the season. Uh, we haven't seen him in 10 months. And so what was he going to look like uh, when he finally got back on the field? Well, we saw it against Western Michigan. He was outstanding. Uh, the, the box score said four tackles, one tackle for loss, one sack, a forced fumble, blocked field goal. But the tape was way more impressive than just those numbers. Uh, I mean, his ability to beat blockers with power, with quickness, uh, with different hand moves, uh, the way he can quickly collect himself and make plays – uh, find his balance. It's just really, really impressive. So that upper body power, the lower body agility, that's why he was ranked as a top 15 prospect uh, on my draft board uh, with a little bit of kind of crossing your fingers that he's going to look fully healthy uh, back on the field. And he did. So because of that, he's getting my game ball. 
I like it. Uh, for me, I'm going to go, I'm going to stick in the front seven here and probably the highlight game of Saturday coming in uh, was certainly the top five matchup, Georgia versus Clemson. Didn't quite live up to the hype that a lot of people are hoping for. I would say it was more of a defensive battle. But for me, I mean, you watch that Georgia front seven and they were a big reason why the Bulldogs came away with that win. And one guy that just stood out time and time and time again, Dane was your guy. You you hyped him up last week on the show. Linebacker Nicobe Dean uh, stood out as a pass rusher, stood out as a run defender. Uh, his ability to impact the game in multiple ways really, really showed up. And, and to me, like, you know, there are guys when you watch them on film and it's obviously the film over everything, right? But when you watch on TV, sometimes you feel players like kind of pop off the screen. You kind of feel them take it. felt like Nicobe Dean was just the best player on the field. That was just the way that he came through watching that one from start to finish. Uh, for me, Nicobe Dean uh, comes up with the game ball there. And I know you were a big fan, Ben. I know that you studied him recently as well. Uh, really, really impressive talent. Yeah, he's just the play speed is outstanding. His ability to key, read, flow, and just attack. And, you know, he looks like. Uh, you know, a grand maestro out there with the way he's, uh, you know, getting everybody in line and communicating. And he just he is staying ahead of the offense, uh, playing ahead consistently. And even when he does take that false step, he has the athleticism to recover. So big Nicobe Dean fan. He was number 49 in my preseason top 50. And I feel like I kind of shortchanged him a little bit. I think he might need to be uh, higher in the next update. Really good start for him. And it was talked about during the broadcast, like, uh, you know, he's an engineering major and, uh, you know, all the, to me, like that can get overplayed a little bit in terms of like book smart doesn't always equate to football smart. That doesn't always mean the guy's going to be, uh, you know, the most instinctive player out there, but uh, just kind of speaks to the person for sure. You talk about how he's one of the leaders of that defense. All right, guys, let's go to the next category here. One play takeaway. Uh, ben, we'll come back to you here. Uh, what one play stood out most from the weekend that you'll remember most from week one? Well, it's tough to pick one play, but this Kentucky Wildcats team needs to be talked about and they need to be ranked going into next week because they put a whooping on UL Monroe. They have a big offensive line, big running back and Chris Rodriguez out there, Wandale Robinson, but Will leave us coming over from Penn State off play action this week. 208 yards, three touchdowns, eight of 13 passing. They let the big guys up front beat up the D line and then just has all day behind them. But I'm going to pick one of those plays. It was a double post concept. Fran, Dane, he lined this thing up from his own 34 and uncorked it to the opposing four yard line. It's about a 63 yard throw or so. He let this thing loose. He had tons of time. He had all the space in front of him. He has a strong arm, some weapons on the outside. It was a beautiful pass. This Kentucky Wildcats team, I'm kind of taking this one play takeaway to hype up their whole offense. Pay attention to these guys. I bet they upset some SEC teams this fall. There's always one of those teams for sure. You think Penn State's going to regret sticking with Sean Clifford and and not (laughs) keeping him around? Or do you think he's that type of player? I think Wisconsin and Penn State had some quarterback regrets uh, on Sunday or on Saturday. Excuse me. Yeah, uh, right. Jack, I mean Jack Cohn on Saturday, on Sunday night looked re- looked really really good, uh, whereas Graham Mertz on Saturday afternoon did not look. Good I told you Graham Mertz those five touchdowns in his debut. He should have opted out after that. I got to go out on the high note. Uh, right. Peak we'll, peak early. Yeah. 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 Exactly right, Dane. Uh, what was your one play? Uh, So, you know, there was a lot of buzz, a lot of hype with scouts about Northern Iowa, Iowa State. And really the main reason, this is a chance to see uh, Trevor Penning left tackle uh, against the only FBS opponent on Northern Iowa's schedule this year. And, you know, it was big for Penning to go out and have a big game. I mentioned him in that mock draft we did a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think he's number 31 overall in my top 50 board. So uh, plenty of hype out there. Can he live up to it? 
Well, I tell you what, he went out there and I, I think he did. It wasn't a flawless performance, but I think it was well above average. Uh, you know, the way he moved against the Cyclones, edge rushers was outstanding. Power. This guy just plays pissed off. I mean, he's an a-hole. He really, that's how he plays. And he he embraces it. Um, and the first play, the, the one play is that first play of the game where he takes Will McDonald and just puts him on his back with just pure power in his upper body. So uh, he set the tempo early that, hey, this is going to be a game where I just kind of show off my skills. Uh, like I said, it wasn't a flawless game. He had a holding penalty uh, later on in the game. There are times where he gets a little too high, needs to do a better job of sinking, resetting, uh, and kind of winning back that leverage. But to tell you what, Trevor Penning, with the movement skills for a guy that's six seven, three thirty, can move like that, uh, he's a first-round player. And I, I think how he performed against Iowa State – uh, only confirms what we think about Penning at this point. Wow. And I think just to paint the picture, at least for me, for, for listeners, I like him exponentially more than Spencer Brown. I think he's a much yeah. more ready tackle prospect as Spencer was a little bit tall, a little bit light in the pants, had some technique issues, but certainly athletic. I think Trevor Penning is a more through and through NFL offensive tackle today. And that play you talked about, play one, he loves to get his hands right into the armpits of defenders, grip you, torque you, finish you, come down with you, drop the weight on your head too. He is nasty. I don't know who who messed up his breakfast order before games, but that guy is angry. I'm right there with you, Dan. I said over easy. I, I pull, I say, I, I pull, I say, I'm pulling out the uh, the anger management reference today. Uh, for me, guys, just to give our listeners like a little inside baseball, you know, behind the curtain here. Usually, like, all right, so college football Saturday happens. If I don't send the rundown out to you guys, uh, meaning to Ben and Dane on Saturday night, I'll usually do it sometime Sunday. So this weekend goes by, and we have all of our picks made. You know, sometime on Sunday. Well, I watch the Sunday. I, I make the all my Saturday plays, and I'm like, all right, well. I got to talk about Jaquan Brisker from Penn State. Great interception, fourth and goal, helps seal the win against Wisconsin. Uh, it's a cover zero look. I To me, like, Jaquan Brisker, really athletic, high upside player. I didn't see everything that I w- wanted to see from my mental processing standpoint. From, uh, you know, we talked last week with uh, Alan Walking, like the over my dead body attitude as a, as a defensive back. Didn't always see that from Jaquan Brisker. But just seeing him come up with that interception down in the red zone, uh, you know, he's in charge of the running back. He stays in to protect. So what does he do? He understands, hey, this ball is probably coming out fast because of the the cover zero blitz. Let me get to their number one target uh, in uh, in Ferguson, the tight end. Jumps the route, steps in front of it for the interception. That's big time play, and you like to see that from from Brisker in that situation. That said, made that pick before the Sunday night game. That interception from Kyle Hamilton last night uh, in the second half, he had two picks uh, against Florida State. The second one was maybe one of the best plays we're going to see from a defensive back all season. Maybe one of the best plays we saw from a defensive back last season. He came opposite hash to the other sideline and made an interception on the run downfield. I mean, for a guy that big to make a play with that level of range, uh, really, really unique. And it just proves that, once again, this guy's a unicorn. Uh, He's going to be one of the top picks in next year's draft if he he comes out, guys. You say Kyle Harrison, Kyle Hamilton? If this guy makes one more play, I'm going to add him to the list. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. right. Kyle, Um, he he was ridiculous, guys. He's special. He is, uh, yeah, one of the top five talents in this draft class. Um, And, you know, my my top two safeties, him and uh, Catalan, both had two interceptions Mm. uh, this weekend. So both showed out. And it's funny, I was thinking about it. I I don't – you probably can't get too different in terms of sizes when you talk about safeties. 
with Catalan and Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton's 6'4", Catalan's yep. generous 5'10". Uh, so it's very different styles, but two big-time players. And Hamilton, with those plays that he made, I mean, really, uh, I mean, it wasn't a perfect game. There were, you know, he yeah. had the penalty with the – he took his helmet off. There were times yep. where, you know, he let a wide receiver get behind him. But the, when you can create turnovers like that with your range and your instincts, uh, your explosiveness, I, it just is a game-changer. It's a fun safety class. A.J. Finley, Lewis Sign, Verone McKinley looked outstanding for Oregon over the weekend. Uh, there's a bunch of guys across college football. Alabama's always got a couple. You know, Georgia has Tyke Smith coming over from West Virginia. Damani Richardson, deep, deep safety group. I did Tyson uh, Tyson Anderson this morning from Toledo. That kid is a baller, too. He's, he's a really impressive Showed player. up on the freak list, over yeah. 700 special team snaps. He's going to be a guy in the spring, uh, definitely on radars. No question. All right, guys, well, let's get to our uh, down-the-road freak shows, a freshman or sophomore to file away for the future. Uh, Dane, I'll come to you because this guy uh, absolutely blew up on Saturday. Yeah, Bajan Robinson, uh, just pencil it in. He will be the first running back drafted in the 2023 NFL draft. Uh, you know, with all due respect to – you know, Tank Bigsby and you know, these other guys, uh, Robinson is, he's got some special to him, uh, against Louisiana, 103 yards, rushing 73 yards, receiving a pair of touchdowns, his mix of power, but also explosiveness is really, really unique for, for a running back. He runs so hard, so decisive, uh, he is going to be fun to watch in that, uh, Steve Sarkeesian offense this year. Uh, if they can get any consistency from the quarterback position, from the young kid, uh, then it, Texas is going to be a team to watch out for, no doubt. Uh, I'm going to stick at the running back spot. I'm going to go Ohio State's running back, uh, Travion Henderson, true freshman in his first game, had a 70-yard catch and run to put Ohio State up by two scores early in the fourth quarter. That's what kind of sealed the win there for the Buckeyes. A little swing pass to the left where he just put, in the, put his foot in the ground and flew downfield, erased every angle on the football field, uh, just showing that juice. And again, true freshman, true freshman five-star running back, uh, Travion Henderson, certainly a name to watch. Ben, uh, who do you got for us? Well, we'll keep it running backs. You notice how Dane said pencil that in? You're going to want to pencil it because you're going to be erasing it. It's going to be Tank Bigsby, <laughs> first off the board from Auburn, only a true sophomore at 13 for 119 and two touchdowns. But all of a sudden, a true freshman comes in the second half for Auburn. They have another stud back there. Jarquez Hunter had nine carries for 110 and a touchdown. He's from Philadelphia, Fran. It's Philadelphia, Mississippi. Oh, was Mississippi right, Mr. Me. Football nice. down there. But they have a bunch of guys, whether it's Sean Shivers, who's 5'8", 200 pounds, a little small, rocked-up guy, Tank Bisbee, and now this Jarquez Hunter out there. Bo Nix just better hand that thing off all season. Yeah, it's, it's almost it's like uh, maybe Akron's just not that good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> hey, they start slow. Everybody knows that. Well, hey, they, they got big, bad Alabama. Oh, no, it's Alabama State next week. Uh, oh, right, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's nothing like starting off 2-0. Uh, all right, guys, let's wrap it up here with our film room recap. Just a guy that we've studied on film in the last week that caught our eye. I'll start off with a player that it seems like a lot of people are viewing to be in the top 50 when it's all said and done, and that's Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum. And you guys know how much I love Alec Lindstrom, uh, the center from Boston College. I've been a big fan of him over the last couple seasons. This is the first time I've gotten to watch Linderbaum. He's right there with Lindstrom, and, and I wouldn't argue with you if you had him ahead. Um, Linderbaum is really exceptional. When you look at his athleticism, his toughness, uh, he's uh, been a long-time starter, but he's strong in the pocket. Despite the fact that he's a little bit undersized, uh, he does not give up ground versus bull rushers. He drives people off the ball. 
He is a really, really good player. Checks off a ton of boxes. I know you guys have both done him, so this isn't news to you guys. Uh, but for anybody who has not watched, Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum, uh, really, really special talent uh, inside at center. We talked about that safety class. You've got a couple centers in here that, that have Pro Bowl futures in them uh, moving forward. I think Linderbaum uh, certainly in that category. Dane, uh, who is your guy for this week? I went with Devin Lloyd, uh, linebacker at Utah, who – uh, you know, some teams have graded as the top senior linebacker uh, in this class and watching him against Weber State uh, over the weekend, uh, you know, looking over the tape, it's easy to see why uh, physical take on player. Uh, he's got lead in his shoulder pads with the way he creates that uh, explosiveness at contact, that immediate stopping power uh, as a striker. Uh, he's so relentless in pursuit. He's, there, there's a little bit of stiffness there. But speed and the energy that he plays with is terrific. And so uh, he's able to chase down plays, make plays. He had a diving interception in that opener. Um, so just the energy, the play speed, the toughness, I, it makes him a very easy player to like. So Devin Lloyd, uh, the linebacker from Utah, is a, is a player that uh, USC should not have let get out of Southern California. There's a, a bunch of those guys. I, I was just yeah. texting Ben the other day, like, how, how does USC let uh, let Kayvon Thibodeau out the door? I mean, he lived, like, down the street, uh, <laughs> somehow made his way out. Uh, that would not happen in uh, the early 2000s, late 90s there for USC. Uh, ben, wrap us up here. Take us home. Yeah, California seems like they have a problem keeping the uh, top quarterbacks in state, sure. too, with Bryce Young and DJ and all those other guys yep. around college football. But deep defensive end class again. There's a lot of interesting bodies. This old Miss defensive end, Sam Williams. He's 6'4", 265, and he has really good height, weight, speed. He's strong. He's long. He's loose. He's explosive. He is a relentless pass rusher. He's athletic. He's violent. Doesn't want to run around guys. He likes speed to power moves. But he is just a grown man out there against boys. He has these huge arms that just engulf running backs and ball carriers. Just a paw, and they go flying. Watch one of the first uh, plays. I think it was against... It was a Cal last year. He just touches the running back and he goes absolutely flying. Ragdolls tight ends at the point of attack without flinching. Led the team in sacks in 2019. Led him in pressures in 2020. He'll line up all over the place. He'll line up detached over number two, outside linebacker, overhang, a snug alignment, inside at three tech, and he'll make a play at all of them. Three tech, he tossed Ed Ingram, left guard of LSU. No problem. Great at the point of attack against Darian Kernard. You want to see him detached? So he lined up over number two. They tried to block him with Devonta Smith. He ragdolled 175-pound Devonta Smith out there. He had a huge interception against Missouri, walked out over number two, rerouted number two, got depth, eyes on the quarterback. He looked like a nickel defender out there. So he's strong. He's long. He's versatile. He's got the good size. Reportedly ran 4-4-0 in a 40-inch vertical in high school at the Ole Miss Elite Camp. So he's got some really impressive testing metrics. The big thing, guys, he had an off-the-field incident two years ago. It was a bit of a domestic charges were dropped, but they're going to obviously have to vet that. But if everything's clear off the field, this guy is a first round caliber player all day long. And I just don't see enough attention on him. Yeah. You brought up the, the domestic and that will be something uh, that will be vetted out fully uh, once you get through the pre-draft process. Well, guys, uh, we covered a bunch of players here in this opening segment. Let's uh, let's cover three more. It's time now to go on the clock. On the clock. All right, guys, let's now transition to what is always one of my favorite segments here on the show, and that's our On the Clock as we welcome in Chris McPherson. C-Mac, last week you gave Dane the win, so he's got a one-to-nothing-to-nothing lead uh, right now in our weekly debate segment. Uh, What's our topic here this week? Well, let's start things off here. 
Dane did not was not given the win. He earned Thank it you. outright. <laughs> Thank you. I was about to what, object. What you know? What what is yeah. it? He was given the win. Okay, I mean, you're giving no away W's like Halloween candy in September, but uh, it's all right. You're, <laughs> come on, earned, deserved. Uh, better words to use here. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> sir, come on now. As a writer, I'll I'll, I'll put the thesaurus on that one. Nonetheless, this week. So last week, it was the most impactful transfer player, kind of along the same lines. And after the 2020 college season, there was a lot of discussion about the players who would be allowed to come back, the super seniors here in 2021, players who, because of COVID, will get the extra year of eligibility. So which player is going to help his draft stock the most and take the most advantage of this bonus year? So, Fran, I don't know who uh, gets to kick things off here, but who's going to you know start things off this week? So Dane uh, had the first pick last week. Ben had second. I had third. So uh, as we will do, we rotated the order. Dane will now pick third. Ben had the first pick. I've got the second. So Ben, you're kicking us off here on this one. Okay, gotcha. And I got the secret wild card here to to tug at C-Max heartstrings. We're going to go Drexel Dragon quarterback. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. There's no football team out there at Drexel, but let's go. undefeated, undefeated for like 40 years. So we're going to go Ohio State offensive lineman Thayer Munford. And I say offensive lineman because I didn't really know how to introduce him. He was the left tackle last year for the national championship, appearing uh, Ohio State Buckeyes there, protecting the blind side for Justin Fields, a really good season. But it was a deep tackle class last year, C-Mac. 2021, he's had Rashawn Slater and Penny Sewell, Leatherwood, Daristal, Jenkins, Cosme, Little. I don't know where he would have fallen into that group. Probably would have been maybe a third rounder, maybe even an early day three player. So I'm glad he went back to school. And they're actually moving him into left guard this year. That's where he debuted on Thursday night against Minnesota. Looked pretty good. And is starting to answer a lot of those concerns that he had over on the edge where his hands were inconsistent. He was waist bending way too often, had a very questionable anchor. He looked like he was afraid of speed out there and that he would fire out with his kick steps so aggressively and just give up free inside moves. Now you slide him into guard. He's protected a little bit more. And C-Mac, he has some long limbs. He's a big boy. He's 6'6", 320. He moves people in the run game. He's obviously a coveted player at that organization wearing the block O jersey although he can't wear number zero because he's an offensive lineman, but they give that out for toughness, accountability, character. He's a really good kid, had some concerns at tackle. Now he's showing some versatility. I just think it was a really good move for him to go back to school, show what he can do on the inside, and maybe quiet some of those concerns that he had at tackle. Ben, has he played anywhere else other than guard and tackle on the left side during his career? He did dabble at right tackle early on, but he's been the starting left tackle for two years. He hadn't played any guard snaps up until Thursday night. So it was the first time we ever saw him inside, and I thought he looked pretty good. I think that was an area people were projecting uh, initially anyways. So now we have some live bullets and some live reps to evaluate. So it'll make that that, that conversation that, Everyone feels like it's so easy, like, oh, he was a tackle in college. We'll just slide him inside in the NFL. You feel like that he's already proven that to kind of, you know, accelerate that that development to kind of, like you said, answer the question in the minds of uh, of the evaluators. Yeah, and it's a new atmosphere for him. So we may find some more pros or maybe some more concerns now that he's in at guard. But he's similar in trajectory to like Alex Leatherwood, in my opinion, where some teams may see him as a first round caliber and some may be a little lukewarm on him. I think 2021 is a great opportunity for him to kind of baseline his report and really put together a consistent season because he has all the tools, all the ability. 
if he can put together a solid season here with that tackle experience, where does he fit into the mix uh, from a round? I don't want to say a round standpoint, but uh, in terms of the tiers of what we're going to see in the 2022 NFL draft, Ben, only because he's already proven that he can be a, you know, top shelf quality day one, day two left tackle. Now you're adding that versatility playing guard in the mix, even though that's probably where you might think he's going to be projected at down the line, but nonetheless, he has the experience of both. How does that help the draft stock? moving? Yeah. Forward? And it's going to be different strokes for different folks based on his projection, but there's a lot of guard tackle hybrids in this class. I think he's, he's a little bit behind Kenyon green at Texas A&M, maybe a little bit behind Zion Johnson at Boston college, but right in that kind of next tier. So right now I have a late day two projection on Thayer Munford, maybe being a late, round two, early round three, but I could see him easily coming up and being maybe one of the first players off the board in day two. Excellent. Good stuff there. Way to kick things off. Fran, you're number two on the board here. We'll find out if you're number two in the standings at the end of the, uh, (laughs) well to me and maybe look, we are, we're recording this just after two o'clock Monday afternoon. Uh, so we're less than 24 hours removed from Sunday night football, Notre Dame against Florida state. And obviously the big topic coming out of that game was Mackenzie Milton uh, making his comeback here. Transferred from Central Florida, uh, had not played a game in over a 1,000 days. You, If you follow college football, you know the storyline by now. He had a devastating knee injury at the end of the 2018 season after going 22-0 in the previous two seasons. So he goes 22-0 over 2017-2018, was the first two-time winner of the AAC Offensive Player of the Year, two-time first-team All-AAC as an underclassman out there for the Knights, but doesn't play 2019, doesn't play in 2020. Really, I mean, there were questions about what his long-term health would be, much less playing football, and now all of a sudden he's thrown back into the limelight, limelight, uh, inserted halfway through uh, that game last night against Notre Dame, nearly leads them to the upset victory and come from behind fashion. So when you're looking at Mackenzie Milton, I would say coming into this year, it was a question mark, certainly a storyline to follow, right? But when you're looking at the the total package, you're like, okay, this is an undersized quarterback, 5'11", sub-195. So the size is going to be a concern. He's not, he doesn't have the, the strongest arm, but he's been very aggressive. He's accurate. He can create. Everybody loves Mackenzie Milton off the field. So when you're looking at Milton now and what he could be with this extra year, because if he didn't have COVID last year, his career would have been over. Now he gets that extra year here as a sixth-year senior. What is he going to be able to prove as a potential starting quarterback moving forward for Florida State? As we sit here today, we don't know how the rest of this quarterback situation is going to pan out. Again, Milton didn't start the game, but I think if he's able to come back in, take over that starting job, and lead them to a modicum of success here – in 2021, you're talking about Milton being completely off the radar coming into the year to now being, you know, who knows? Are we talking early day three? Are we talking somewhere day two? Uh, I think that's a, a huge, huge rise for a senior quarterback, uh, certainly a guy that with the most to gain from that extra year because his career would have ended uh, had it not been for that extra year of eligibility. Yeah, fascinating selection. Almost was wondering why wasn't in the most impactful, you know, transfer player. But I think that that speaks to how off, not necessarily off the radar, but you didn't, you just didn't know. Like, was he going to play? How was he going to look once he played? He comes out and he stripes a corner out for 25 yards on the left sideline. And they just said, well, we got to keep him in. We can't take him off the field. Uh, But I think that that's the reason why we didn't talk about him last week. C-Mac was because he was that off the radar. Now, is it partially a great comeback story or going back to the central Florida tape? Could you see evidence of someone who could play at the next level? 
I, I think that the, the, the NFL now is more open to this body type. If this was five, six, seven years ago, we'd be looking at McKenzie Bilt and like, all right, well, you know, a good, good college quarterback, but probably not for the NFL. That still might be the case. But when you have Kyler Murray go number one, when you have Baker Mayfield go, go number one, when you have Russell Wilson have the success that he's had, I think guys that are built that way, you know, there's a little bit more faith. There's a little bit more comfort. There's a little bit more proof in the pudding with guys of that body type. Uh, Dane, before we get to you, do you know uh, how come he wasn't originally named the starter? Any insight into the coaching decision down there in Tallahassee? Uh, I don't know. They, the other guy just won the job. I mean, it sounded like because they didn't announce a starter until yep. uh, right before the game. So it was neck and neck, neck and neck. And they they went with uh, the other guy. So but it was fascinating that, you know, he had to come out for a play, uh, the starter and he didn't see the field again because of uh, the way Mackenzie Milton was playing, which was just a fascinating development. So really interesting to watch there. So, all right, good pick there. You know, we'll, we'll see what the, uh, obviously his role moving forward will definitely play a role in that. So yes. uh, Dane, let's see, uh, can he go two for two to open the year? You know, maybe I would have to probably give this one to him, but let's see if he can, if he can earn it. Well, I, I admit those are two really good picks. Um, I'm going, you know, I went with Alabama last week. I'm going back to Tuscaloosa for my answer this week. Uh, I'm going with running back Brian Robinson. And, you know, you think about who he has had to play behind uh, at Alabama over his career, that crowded depth chart at running back. In 2017, as a freshman, he was behind Damian Harris, Bo Scarborough. 2018, it was Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris. The past two years, it was Najee Harris. Most running backs with Robinson's talent, they would have transferred. They would have gone and started some somewhere else because he had a starter talent, but he's a Tuscaloosa native and he waited and was patient. And when everything happened with COVID and the NCAA granted this extra year, he took advantage of that. It, without this extra year, he might have been a late round pick in the 2021 draft. But because of this extra year, he saw his chance to go back to school. Now he's Bama's bell cow. Uh, he led the team in rushing in the opener against Miami. He averaged five yards per carry. He he forced nine missed tackles. Uh, he is a tank. He runs with power. He runs with balance and contact. It, but we knew that already. I, I, watching him Saturday, he looked a lot quicker, not just with his feet, but with his decision-making. So uh, this is a chance for him to really show what he can do at the, uh, for the next level. We know Alabama has an explosive passing game. This is so there's going to be opportunities on the ground. Just, you know, we saw Najee Harris last year go from probably a third round pick to a first round pick in his final year. Maybe Robinson can go from a late rounder to a mid rounder or even better with a strong 2021 season. Dave, what does he provide in the past game? Fascinated to uh, learn more about that aspect. He had two catches on, on Saturday. Uh, so hopefully we'll see him uh, used a little bit more. Uh, pass pro was a roller coaster for him. There were plays where you saw that power. He bodied up the rusher. There were other times where he misidentified where the pressure was coming from. So that is going to be something that scouts watch throughout the year to see progress, see him get better uh, on third downs and in the passing game. Crazy patience on his end. I was going to say, why did he stay all these years? But I guess being a Tuscaloosa native that, uh, you want to stay close to home. Makes the most yeah. sense there. That's it, yeah. So, so great, great job by all three of you. Uh, another tough decision here. Don't know if I could go to the Bama well back-to-back weeks. Uh, Fran, love the argument. I, I think Mackenzie Milton's a great story. Tremendous, tremendous. You know, this this could be like a book, could be a movie down the line. I, is he starting next week? 
That's the thing. I mean, obviously, based off the performance, seems like he'll have a bigger role moving forward. But uh, I think for now, I'm I'm interested by Thayer Munford to see what he could do with this extra year. And I know it's not the uh, flashiest or sexiest of positions, but uh, you know, Ben, light up the cigar. He's got the victory get, cigar. Get one. He's got he's got the victory <laughs> cigar. He's got to get one in the uh, win column, and uh, we've got two on the board. So two weeks, one for Ben, one for Dane, and. Uh, Fran, you might be the host of the podcast, but uh, you're trailing the boys here. So you got a little catching up to do here. Hey, look, it was a gritty performance. I didn't come out too hot, but I capitalized late in the second half of my my speech. Are we not doing victory speeches this year? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Execution across the board uh, was just okay here. Hey, we'll take uh, a look at the tape and just try to get better for next week. That's all yeah. we can do. Yeah, that's right. Well, guys, uh, fun as always, C-Mac. We will catch up with you next week. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Well, great stuff there from C-Mac, from Dane, from Ben. Always fun. Uh, I love that segment on the clock uh, as we continue to chart our success in our debate format segment here on the show. Let's wrap it up with a question from home in our Draft Mailbag. And like I said at the top of the show, the best way to throw us your support is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen, leave us a rating, leave us a question, we will answer it. If you've got a mock draft that you want us to break down, we will do it. If you've got position rankings you want us to sort through, we will do it. If you've got questions about a specific school or a program with players, like Lewis Kyle, who left a five-star review, we will answer it here on the show. And here's Lewis Kyle's uh, comment. He says, hey, guys, love the pod. Sometimes, Fran, I think you could set a record for the most words said in a minute. You talk fast. Uh, look, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. I try I try to slow things down and stay tempered, but I get excited, especially talking about uh, the NFL draft and talking about football in general. Um, but here's, uh, here's Lewis's question. What are your thoughts on Rasheed Walker, Brandon Smith, Jahan Dotson and Jaquan Brisker from Penn State. So I'll give quick little elevator speeches. These are four of what I think most people would say are the top prospects for this Penn State football program. I would throw in the corner Tariq Castro Fields in there as well. Uh, Rashid Walker, athletic, high upside. He's an underclassman. He's a true junior. I think when you look, or he's a retro junior rather, I think when you look at Rashid Walker, it's about the totality of him as a prospect, consistency. He's got some outstanding flashes. You just want to see it more consistent over the course of this season. I haven't dug into the film, obviously, uh, from this past weekend's game against Wisconsin, but you want to continue to see him put it put it together. If it can all come together for him, he could be a very intriguing player. It's just not quite there yet. The flashes really, really good. Brandon Smith, uh, if you want to get into uh, you know what he can be, I mean, he's got the ability, he's got the skill set, the athleticism to be up there uh, with some of the top linebackers we have studied. If you want to get into, uh, you know, like a, a Ryan Shazier, you know, to all these athletic overhang defenders, that's Brandon Smith. Uh, I mean, he's 240 pounds. He runs like a deer. He can make plays sideline to sideline. It's how does he process? How does he see things from that stack position? If you tuned in to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast last week, I had Nick Rallis on, the Eagles linebackers coach, and we talked about uh, you know just the the adjustment that some players have to make when you don't play stacked, but meaning behind the the defensive line, you're playing more in the slot. Some guys can make that adjustment easy and fast. Some guys it takes a little bit longer, and so uh, that'll be the one of the big adjustments there for Brandon Smith, but he's got all the physical tools uh, to be really, really impressive. Jahan Dotson, I mean, we saw the game-breaking ability he has uh, this past week against Wisconsin, right? He's got that ability to attack down the field. He can be that speed threat, so excited to continue watching him develop. And then Jaquan Brisker, talked about him earlier in the show, uh, I was excited for him to be able to make that play uh, in coverage, that interception late in the game. When The way I saw him coming into this season – Really athletic, toolsy DB, ex-corner. You love that from the safety spot, that that coverage background. I just wanted to see the mental processing get there to where I wanted to see it. 
Brisker, uh, that was a heads-up interception he made late in the game to help seal the victory there for Penn State. So really big step in the right direction there for Jaquan Brisker. Again, a former high school corner, was a, a big-time recruit coming out, uh, ended up at Penn State uh, late in his college career after starting at junior college. He is a, has got a really high ceiling for sure moving into the NFL. So, Lewis, great question there. Thanks so much for your support. Thanks for leaving the question there on our Apple Podcast page. For everybody out there, that's the best way. You want to hear your voice heard on the show? Now's the time. Jump on, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, and we will get to it here in our draft mailbag segment. Locked and loaded here uh, on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We are in our regular season mode. Uh, we'll be back later this week with Ben Fennel, Ross Tucker, Eric Galco, and another guest right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.